Well, this is week two in our sermon series called Awakening. And if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 29. I try to tell you this early because Chronicles is hard to find, right? Uh, So if you've got a digital Bible or whatever it is, uh, you can kind of turn to it pretty quick. Uh, But I want to talk to you this morning. Uh, We're in this series called Awakening. And last week, we kind of dug deeply into awakening our hearts and really attacking the sin that's in our life and beginning to get rid of of it. This morning, we're going to talk about being fruitful and what that means to kind of awaken. Uh, But before we can understand what it means to be fruitful, we've got to deal with some of the clutter that's in our lives. Can I ask you a few questions kind of to start out this morning? How many of you have clutter in your garage? Okay. This is not a time to elbow your spouse. Okay. Uh, How many of you are holding on to something one day knowing that it's going to be used? I'm going to pray for you right now. Um, How many of you hate clutter? I mean, if you, there's some godly people in this house this morning. Uh, For me, if I don't use it in three weeks, it's gone. I mean, just what's the point of keeping it around? I just, I'm not that kind of guy that that likes to hold on to things. Uh, It's interesting. Uh, I I love my, and I I dare bring this up, but he's traveling and probably not listening this morning. Uh, But my father-in-law loves to hold on to things. And we were having this serious moment where he was trying to clean up his, uh, his uh, buildings and his wife was on him and all those different things like that. And he looked at me and he said, Please don't throw away my stuff after I die. (laughs) And I thought, are you going to die? But then the next thought goes, it's all going to be thrown away. (laughs) He goes, I'll come back and haunt you. And I was like, I ain't scared. I know God. I'm good. (laughs) But it's one of those things that you kind of hold on to. Um, How many of you have clutter in one single drawer of your house? Just this junk drawer that if something goes missing, that's the place that you need to start, right? Um, When you think about clutter, and I think about it from this perspective, how many of you have seen the TV show Hoarders? Let me show you just a short video clip that should awaken our hearts. Individuals who are struggling with hoarding disorder are caught up in the stuff, if you will. We start to find that there's what's called goat paths where people are trying to maneuver their way through hallways and into various rooms. Hoarding disorder is an anxiety disorder and it's marked by individuals who struggle with excessive acquisition of stuff. Where this becomes a problem is that they cannot discard the items. So their house begins to become filled to a point where there's areas in the home that cannot be accessible. The house gets so overrun, people start putting things wherever they can. They can't sleep in their bed. Oftentimes they can't sit on the couch. They can't socialize. And they become very embarrassed and very ashamed and very isolated because of this. It is estimated that approximately 19 million Americans are struggling with hoarding disorder. I believe these statistics are highly underrepresented because there are so many people that are suffering in silence. They're scared to come forward. They're terrified of what will happen if people see their home. It's, 
sorry. Uh, it's interesting that if you've seen this TV show, uh, you've been kind of horrified uh, by what you've seen. You see these people just kind of packed in in this stuff, and then there's this separation. So as the dumpsters are appearing, this team of people comes together and begins to remove stuff so that the house would just be safe. You see them begin to hold on to this stuff and to be broken by the fact that all of their stuff is disappearing before their eyes. This morning, I want to speak an honest truth and awakening to you that this may be taking place in your spiritual life. You may be so busy, captivated by so many different things, following so many different instances that your spiritual life is so cluttered with all of this different stuff that you're missing what it looks like to have time with God. Now, as much as this would be a great illustration for us to teach our kids, if you want to teach your kids to clean up their room, let them watch Hoarders. And look at them and say, this is what you could become. I will tell you the honest approach to this is our lives have become so cluttered with junk that it's keeping us from knowing God. Now, let me dig in for just a second here. How many of you spent yesterday so busy that it was hard to get up and go to church this morning? How many of your, your week looked so busy that it was just thing after thing after thing after thing and you're so busy that you just barely had just enough coffee or energy drink or a donut or sugar or whatever it took to get you awake this morning that you could come to church and fellowship? I'll tell you this morning as we look at this passage of scripture, as we dig into this, there needs to be an awakening in our life to clean the junk out of it. Amen. Listen, as we dig into this, I love this, this cleaning up understanding in this key verse in Ephesians chapter 5 verse, 5 verse 14, the second part, where he says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look, this is God and Paul speaking through Paul saying, you need to be awoken, awakened in your heart so that you would see who God is and begin to live for him. So this is this awakening, this call to make sure that we are not asleep. So this morning I tell you, awake, be ready for the move of God, be ready for what he's going to do. But honestly, I love the fact that scripture not only tells us to do something, it gives us the genuine process. In 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 3 through 5, we see this process begin to lay out. Last week, we talked about King Hezekiah, and we talked about the message that he had laid out. If you understand the time period, King Hezekiah took over after his dad, and he wanted to do something completely different. And so you see the process, you see the awakening that was taking place in their hearts and in their lives. And I tell you that we as a church, we as a country, we as a community need to wake up, not to all of the stuff that's around us, but to who God is and to truly begin to live for him. Hezekiah took this as a serious approach. And you see this in verse three, he said, in the first year of his reign, Listen, he didn't let the dust settle. He didn't wait longer. He didn't execute this perfect plan. He said, I'm going to do this in my first year. 
In the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and he repaired them. I know we think that that's a common understanding or a good place to be. But during this time period, the doors of the temple, the doors of the church were closed. They were closed so long that they were broken and unhinged because nobody entered into this place. King Hezekiah took it upon himself to say, I know that the only awakening that's going to take place is if we open the doors of God's house and repair them. Hezekiah immediately got to work and the next thing he did, he brought in the priests and the Levites and he assembled them in the square to the east and he said to them, hear me Levites, listen to what I am about to say, pay attention. And he tells them these words, now consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord and the God of your fathers and carry out the filth from this holy place. Now, let me kind of dig into this because this message was very, very, very clear. He tells them, you need to clean up your life. You need to make right your relationship with Christ. You need to quit being lazy on the most important thing, which is to spend time with God. Quit watching life take place around you. It's interesting that sometimes I come to this place where at 44 years old, I look around and I have a 15-year-old that's driving. And I see her as this little tiny kid that we would just try to wear out so she would go to sleep. And I think how quickly life passes us by. There's this constant evaluation in my heart of have I done for the Lord what I have needed to be do or been called to do? And look, for some, we push that off and say, eh, I've done enough. It's interesting that when we talk about cleaning up our life, we immediately just look at the externals. The reality is what King Hezekiah was gathering the priests together, he was saying these words, consecrate yourself. And so given the definition of what this means, this means making a conscience, willing decision to dedicate your soul, mind, heart, and body to God. Now, I want to be clear this morning. This conscious decision is to put God as the priority and everything else behind him. Now listen, there's a battle in your heart right now going, he's not talking to you. I want to be clear, God's talking to you this morning, not me. Listen, we have placed so many different things in our life that God gets the leftovers. And it is nowhere near how scripture explains it. Look, there's a misconception that these priests were doing things rightly. 
And look, even within the priesthood, even within pastors, even within my own life, I can get so busy with all of the things that take place within a church that I miss my personal relationship with God. So I know if it's true for me, I know it's true for you that we get so busy in things that we forget about the most, the greatest priority at the end of our life. So to understand what it means to genuinely consecrate yourself, this conscious decision is to truly dedicate your life to Christ. Listen, this is not a half-in approach. This is not a casual approach. This is not a half-hearted approach. This is not an if I'm not busy, I will do this approach. I think within our American culture, we look at church in a completely different lens, in a completely different light. And we look at our relationship with God in a lesser than light. The reality is within the American church, we want to do just enough to get by. Nowhere in God's word, I've read this thing through multiple times, does it say just do enough. Every time scripture speaks about your life being completely transformed, It speaks to the whole that everything in your life begins to change. That you become so focused on God that you are wholeheartedly involved with everything that he wants to do. Love what he says in that last part of that passage of scripture. Carry out the filth. You can imagine after the temple had been sitting for some time that it was filthy. think if we are with, within a real understanding of our lives is we need to get rid of the nastiness. Get rid of the things that are keeping you from becoming close to the Lord. This could be a number of things. This could be Saturday activities. These could be uh, the exhaustion that carries over it. But I want you to understand, you know what's keeping you from wholeheartedly committing to God and his relationship. You know what's holding you back. Another thing that takes place with this, if you think about this and you study this to the depths of what I get to study, you would see that under the previous administration of King Hezekiah, his father, they redefined what the church is. They redefined it as a place that they would casually, haphazardly, every once in a while attend. And the ultimate demise under that kingdom was that the people were so far from God that they didn't even recognize him. Listen, it sounds eerily similar to our culture. sounds eerily similar to the way that we approach what it means to truly live for Christ. One of the things that I've noticed over the past couple of years is no matter what community that we get involved with, 
whether it's a, a sports community or a, a hobby community or whatever it is, it's almost replaced the church. You say, well, we do this together and we have this great group of people and we have this great body of people and, and you're, you're looking for community, you're looking for fellowship, but church should be the place for that. So Paul comes with this new plan in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 10 and 11. Remember, this is where, where our passage comes from, awake, O sleeper. And before he gets to that passage of scripture, before he gets to that understanding, he lays out a framework for them to understand what it means for this awakening to take, what this awakening should take place in their life. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10 and 11, it says, And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, can I ask a simple question? Did everything that you did this past week please and honor the Lord? Just think about it. Was the whole purpose of you waking up glorifying God? Was the whole purpose of you going to work, of being around people, of being around individuals, pleasing and honoring the Lord? See, the reason why this is such a struggle for us as a church or for a community of believers is because the world around us tells us a completely different story. They say, please yourself. Make sure that you're taken care of. Make sure that everything in this world is about you. Now, can I be honest? None of us enjoy entitled people. Have your kids ever been entitled? Amen. Dad, give me this money. For what? I don't know. I'm hungry. Well, what's wrong with peanut butter and jelly that's in the, in the cupboards? Dad, Subway does it way better. Maybe we can make wraps at our house. Dad, I need these new shoes. Baby, you have seven pairs of shoes. Mom, I need this new bat. I need this new this. I need, th listen, this, ha anybody with me? Man, kids, stop asking for so much. Don't you know we, I mean, inflation's taking place and it's hard to feed y'all? Listen, the world has told us, take care of you above everything else. And God's word says the exact opposite. But yet we've bought into this philosophy of taking care of us. Nothing misrepresents Christ more than a church that will take care of itself and not see and minister to the community that it's involved in. I love that Paul's understanding is continued in a couple of different places in Scripture where he says, don't take part I love what he finishes that. He says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. But then he says, but instead 
expose them. Whoa. We're not supposed to point out anything wrong in anybody else's life. <laughs> Yet scripture is telling you the exact opposite. I love what he says in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5 through 10. In speaking about what it means to be a mature believer and have a clear understanding of what it means to be fruitful. He says in verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Can I tell you, the cleanup process needs to take place. The cleanup process needs to begin in your heart and in your life. The cleanup process is us not being blind to the junk anymore. Now, don't misrepresent what I'm saying. I'm not telling you to go home and clean your garage. Your wife may be telling you that. I'm not. I'm telling you to clean up your life. Represent Christ well. There's some mornings when I go into my office and maybe it was a busy week before and there's just piles upon piles upon piles of things on my desk and I can't even begin working until I have everything in its place. For some of you, there's so much junk just scattered throughout your life that you are not a fruitful member of the family of God. In that previous passage, he tells us to expose the things of darkness. Let me give you a clear list because I don't, I don't want you to walk out of here and go, I don't know what these things of darkness are. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21, pointing them out very clear to us. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality. Listen, this is anything that have to do with a sexual relationship other than with your spouse. Impurity. And I think about this from the things that we watch on TV, from the things that we watch in our lives, the things that we take in. Sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife. And think about who you have strife with this morning. Jealousy. Whose life are you looking at? Just constantly wanting what they have or constantly wanting the things that they have or the life that they have. Fits of anger. Man, you see this everywhere right now. People get mad over everything. 
rivalries. Man, this week was a weekend of rivalries. If you're from South Effingham or Effingham, you hate the other person, right? If you're from Calvary or Savannah Christian, even though it's Christian schools, it's ugly. Dissensions, reasons to be divided amongst others, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So I want to give you two perspectives this morning as we kind of wrap this thing up. The world tells us, don't judge us. Just leave us in our sin. Don't say anything or you're considered intolerant. Here's what God's perspective is. Love them enough to tell them that they are going to destroy themselves. Do you know why so much more destruction is happening in people's lives today? It's because we're sitting idly by and saying nothing. Look, let me give this illustration. Would you willingly watch your child do something that would destroy their life? Would you take a hands-off approach and say, they'll be okay, they'll figure it out. Would you hand them the gun and help them murder somebody? No. As a parent, we would look at them and say, it's not worth it. Don't do this. Don't destroy your life. Don't cause the rest of your life to be in shambles because of one bad decision. And in the same way that we care about our children, we should care about those that are around us enough to say, listen, I love you enough. I care about you enough. I see you practicing things that are not healthy for your marriage. Look, we should be the ones that go to people then genuinely love them and say, hey, listen, it seems like you're really angry. Is there anything that, you can, that I can talk to you about that can help you through this? Instead, we take a hands-off approach and we look at them and they bottle it up and they bottle it up and then it explodes and then we wonder, man, could I have helped? And God says, yes, expose those things in a loving manner. Now listen, here's what you didn't hear me say. Don't go to those people and hit them over the, be- hit them over the head with your Bible and say, I would never do that. That's not helpful. This doesn't mean looking at them from a judgmental eye and saying, I'll never participate with you because of the things that you do. This means loving them, being around them, carrying them, and talking to them, saying, hey, listen, it doesn't have to be this way. Let me close with this. What is cluttering your life? What is it that you need to clean up? Maybe it's a job that consumes you. Maybe your job is where you define your purpose, where you define who you are. Can I give you a stark reality? Anybody that's been retired for any length of time understands this more than anybody. 
the day that you retire from a job, they replace you. Do you realize that? We pour so much time, effort, and energy into our job and our career. That's not the thing that's of greatest importance. Our relationship with Christ. Is it a hobby? That man, you have striven, I'm just driven for for years to perfect the art of whatever it is. Is it a sport? Is it a sin? What is it that is just filling your life with junk? I would tell you the same thing that Hezekiah told his priests. He said, will you commit to consecrate yourself? To refocus on your relationship with Christ. One of the things that I've seen over the past two to five years is that Christians have become very unfruitful. We no longer care about the lost and dying world that's around us. We've become so self-absorbed. I think the same thing began under King Hezekiah's father's leadership. That the people became selfish, worried about themselves, worried about their individual. I would tell you that the responsibility of a believer is to be fruitful. Here's what this means. This means to share the gospel with others. This means to get involved with God's church. This means to look for opportunities to help people around you grow in their faith. And this also means to expose sin with people. Look, the reason why the majority of Christians are unfruitful is because of the junk in their life. And until we get rid of that junk, we wonder, why can't I share Christ with anybody else? Why can't I help anybody else grow spiritually? The reality is because our lives are filled with so much clutter. I love J.D. Greer's thought on this. He says, King Hezekiah was a man who believed God on behalf of his people, whose faith and radical all-in obedience preserved his nation from disaster. His faith precipitated a national revival. Can I tell you, the only way that an awakening will take place in our community is if it takes place within our church. Amen. When people see a congregation dealing with their own sin, 
lovingly going to other people and telling them about a Christ that can save their soul. That they no longer have to live with their sin, that Christ can forgive it. But until you get all of the junk out of your life, you're not going to do it. So this morning I ask you, I beg you as your pastor, start cleaning up the clutter. Anything that separates you from a closer relationship with God, remove it. It's not important. Anything that keeps you from growing in your relationship with Christ, remove it. Change it. I think we're bought into this lie that life is just life. The reality is that God's going to provide for you. He's going to lead you. He's going to guide you. He's going to direct you. But you have to know him. You have to spend time with him, trusting him. So my, my ask this morning for you to begin to pray as a church, as a congregation, as a believer. For God to reveal the things that are in your life that are keeping you from being fruitful. If everybody would bow their heads and close their eyes just for a second. There's a genuine concern in the church today. It seems like there's a generation of people that really don't care. That their relationship with God is this casual approach. And look, shame on us for sometimes trying to make Christianity so easy and so attainable that we forget to tell people what it means to truly live for Christ. I'll tell you, if you're sitting here this morning and God spoke to you individually and said, you need to clean this area up. That wasn't Jeff Hubbard. That wasn't a song of worship. That was God revealing to you an area that needs to be cleaned up. Look, There's a loving and gracious God that not only reveals these things to us, but he places us in a place that we can grow. Look for people that are around you that are struggling. Identify them, love them, and encourage them. Look, when things are tough, we don't run away, we run towards Quit believing the lie that this life is about you. And begin to know that it's about Christ and your relationship with him. Dear Father, I come to you humbled this morning. Lord, knowing that I walk a a narrow path of busyness for the right purpose. 
Father, may you be with us this morning that whatever junk that we need to clean out of our lives, Father, that you would help us not to be lazy, not to ignore it, but Lord, to address it head on and begin to deal with it. Father, it's time for us to awaken. Stop being unfruitful as individuals and stop being unfruitful as a church. Lord, the scariest thing for us to do is to not only deal with our own sin, but lovingly confront those that are around us. Father, give us boldness. Give us a heart of genuine love. Father, may we bring glory and honor to you in everything that we do. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray, amen. If you would stand with us, we're gonna sing just a, a last song or a song of invitation. I would tell you, as you listen to the words or as you sing these words, one of the things that we've kind of gotten away from as a church is coming to the altar. What will people think if I actually come forward? What will people like look at me as if, listen, there is no judgment in this place alone. This is a place where we get real with God and do business with him and begin to move into a closer relationship with him. So at this time, this altar is open to you as they sing this last song. If God's spoken to you, if there's junk in your life that you need to clean out, the first step is taking care of it. So I'd ask you this morning, if God's dealing with you, man, this altar is open to you.